Hello and welcome to Forward Thinking, a monthly podcast from the School of Philosophy, Psychology and Language Sciences, where once a month we talk to our academics about the fascinating research ideas and projects they're currently working on. My name's Jackie Thompson and today my fellow podcaster Francesca Rossi is talking to Dr Aidan McGlynn. He's a lecturer in philosophy here at Edinburgh and has worked on a wide range of philosophical topics. This year he's also teaching feminism with Joey Pollock and his interests in this area have led to the paper we're discussing today. The paper's called How Pornography Works, Pornography as Undermining Propaganda and Freedom of Speech. Here's Aidan to explain all. Hi Aidan, uh, thanks for joining us today. You have recently wrote a paper called How Pornography Works, Pornography as Undermining Propaganda and Freedom of Speech. Uh, can you tell us what this paper is about? So the, the paper is an attempt to explore the idea associated with Susan Brown Miller, who, did, who wrote a very important book on um, sexual violence against women a while ago, an idea associated with her that some pornography acts as a kind of misogynist propaganda. And the way I try and explore it in this paper is to take some ideas from uh, the feminist lawyer and legal theorist and philosopher Catherine McKinnon and to take her uh, some of the things that she's written about pornography as an attempt to describe a mechanism, um, the way in which some pornography could act as a kind of propaganda in this sense. Uh, so in particular, I'm looking at the way that certain por pornographic images, so pictures and films, might act as a kind of uh, misogynist propaganda. And I also, towards the end of the paper, try and argue that the precise way in which I take McKinnon to be suggesting pornography might work as a kind of propaganda um, it helps with certain worries people have had about an argument which McKinnon herself has made and which the philosopher Ray Langton has tried to develop in some detail. They try and argue that, in a sense, pornography silences women in a way which is incompatible with the right to freedom of speech. So I'm interested in trying to answer certain worries that people have had about this argument, so to try and show that they can meet these objections. Mm -hmm. um, why are you interested in this topic in the first place as a philosopher? Because, you know, for people it might not be, you know, an obvious uh, topic that philosophers study. Well, philosophers have been interested in uh, pornography as a, a kind of applied ethics issue for a long time. Um, the particular approach that I'm interested in is one associated with Ray Langton that I already mentioned. She's a philosopher now at Cambridge and she published a paper in 1993 called Speech Acts and Unspeakable Acts where she, well, she took as a st her starting point the claim that pornography is a kind of speech. Um, that claim itself seems kind of surprising but she was looking at a kind of liberal tradition which has tried to defend pornography from, say, censorship on the grounds that it, it should be protected as a kind of free speech or free expression. So what she does is she takes that as her starting point and she says, well, let's run with the idea that pornography is a kind of speech. What kind of speech is it? Mm -hmm. And then she appeals to the philosopher J.L. Austin, who uh, in the last century developed the kind of, he was seen as the kind of grandfather of what's now called speech act theory. 
So the kind of study of different kinds of speech, different acts that we can perform um, in speaking. And so she brings to bear kind of distinctively philosophical work through J.L. Austin and uses it to try and um, ask this question of, well, if, if pornography is speech, what does it say? And in particular, she wants to argue that it says things which are very, very problematic, that they are misogynistic and have bad effects for women. That It's very interesting what you've just said, because <clears throat> as in the title, you know, you say that pornography is like undermining propaganda. And I think that's that's linked to this, uh, to this fact that pornography is a kind of speech, as you've just said. But what do you mean uh, by pornography is like undermining propaganda? And how is pornography similar to politics? Because again, this seems to me a very interesting, but not at all straightforward comparison. Um, so there's, there's various bits to that question. One thing is, you might be wondering what's meant by pornography here and I should say I don't just mean what everything that we might call pornography uh, when we're talking every day um, I'm kind of restricting my focus to um, sexually explicit depictions of the subordination of women I'm not suggesting this is what we really mean when we use the word pornography this is just kind of narrowing the focus down to mm-hmm. the kind of pornography that is really at issue in this discussion Um, When I say that it's a kind of undermining propaganda, I'm appealing to recent work by the Yale philosopher Jason Stanley, who's just written a book called How Propaganda Works. That's kind of uh, my title's uh, a riff on his. Um, And there he's interested in the idea that certain contributions to public political discourse are presented as the embodiment of a certain political ideal, say the ideal of uh, liberty or autonomy. And yet those very contributions actually tend to undermine that very ideal. So if you have a contribution to public political discourse, which is presented as an, you know, an embodiment of the ideal of autonomy, free choice, and yet which actually leads to certain people being unable to choose the things they want to choose in illegitimate ways. And in suggesting that the kind of pornography that we're interested in is propaganda in something like that sense it there's something of a stretch in that claim so it's very clear that pornography most of it at least is not presented as a contribution to public political discourse Mm -hmm. so what stanley has in mind is things like donald trump making announcements on cnn or fox news or uh, various other platforms from which people can make kind of contributions to to public political discourse Mm -hmm. pornography is not like that people kind of watch it in their bedrooms or wherever else and so I'm not suggesting that it's straightforwardly like the the kind of cases that Stanley is interested in Um, but I do think that the reason I think there's a connection even though people are kind of watching this by themselves at home is that the I think that the kind of ideals which are involved in pornography are political ones so one of the, the things I'm interested in in the paper is the idea that you get from Catherine McKinnon that some pornography kind of presents itself as uh, embodying the ideals of equality and autonomy. So there's a, the particular example I discuss, and which other philosophers have discussed, is Deep Throat, uh, which uh, is sometimes presented as, you know, the, the lead character, Linda Lovelace, is presented as kind of the embodiment of feminine sexual autonomy in some sense. She, she really is, that's what women would do if they could f- freely choose their sexual destiny. Mm-hmm. And yet we think that really that isn't what's going on, that 
that presentation of her as being fully autonomous actually masks a reality which is very different. So Linda wrote a biography where she described the uh, well, the title is ordeal, the ordeal that she went through in order to be forced to do the things which are portrayed in the movie. So this involved uh, violence, threats of violence against her family, druggings, beatings, rape. This was not somebody who uh, was autonomous at all in reality, and yet she was presented as embodying mm-hmm. autonomy. So that's the sense in which the, the p- political liberal ideal of autonomy seems to be kind of playing a role here. Pornography is being presented as embodying that ideal, and yet it does so in a way which actually tends to undermine that very ideal. So that's the connection I see to Stanley's notion of undermining propaganda. Um, so how do you think your research and this kind of research can have an impact outside of philosophy? It's, it's actually, at the moment, controversial that it can have that impact. Certainly that has been the hope of people like Ray Langton and others who have worked on this, and it's my hope as well that it can have that kind of impact. So I hope that it has impact on issues about free speech. So as I've already mentioned, one of the things I hope to contribute with this paper is to the argument you get from Catherine McKinnon and Ray Langton that pornography silences women in ways which are incompatible with the right to free speech. And free speech is a a topic that's not just of philosophical interest, it's of legal interest and just, it's obviously of just tremendous importance generally. Um, And also this is a topic which you might think is of interest to anyone interested in what mechanisms are in place that make, make it the case that women are kind of worse off than men in, in, you know, in general in society and in particular what mechanisms can lead to them being in danger of gendered violence. So and again that's a topic which is absolutely not of sole interest of philosophers, it should be of interest to everybody. Um, the reason I say it's controversial is some people, so in particular the philosopher Nancy Bauer have suggested that Despite these ambitions, these kind of philosophical discussions, including, I think she would say, mine, don't really manage to have that kind of general impact, that the the work gets taken up and discussed by other philosophers, but it doesn't really have, it's not really had the kind of general impact that it's hoped for. Um, And I hope that it will prove to have that kind of impact, but I recognise that there's a discussion to be had there. So do you have any, any plans to take this research further? I do. Um, this is really, for me, the kind of first footsteps into new territory for me. I've, I've generally worked on issues uh, mostly in epistemology to do with knowledge and belief and justification, the relationship between these and various issues in philosophy of language and mind. And it's it's only been in the last couple of years, I've started to turn my attention to more socially and politically charged topics within mm-hmm. philosophy. And this is one of my first attempts to, to really try and say something new about these topics. Um, I don't really have a clear sense of exactly how this fits into what will hopefully be a kind of bigger uh, research agenda. But certainly I, that's a direction I'm, I'm hoping to go in. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Aidan, for this very good uh, research and and for your time. This is an incredibly fascinating uh, topic that uh, we do hope, maybe also thanks to this podcast, will have a broader impact on uh, non-philosophers and good luck with it. Thank you.
So a big thank you to Aidan for taking the time to talk to us today. Aidan's paper isn't quite ready to publish yet, but check back to the Forward Thinking blog for updates. To find out more about Aidan and his work, follow the links at the Forward Thinking blog. And if you want to hear more podcasts like this one, you can subscribe to us there too. <laughs>